0: Volume two chapter six It was be- the beginning of February, and Anne, having been a month in Bath, was growing very eager for news from Upper Cross and Lyme. She wanted to, de- to hear much more than Mary communicated. It was three weeks since she had heard it all. She only knew that Henrietta was at home again, and that Louisa, though considered uh, considered to be recovering fast, was still at Lyme and she was thinking of them all very intently one evening, when a thicker letter than usual from Mary was delivered to her, and, to quicken the pleasure and surprise with Admiral and Mrs. Croft's compliments, the Crofts must be in Bath, a circumstance to interest her. They were people whom her heart turned to very naturally. "'What is this?' cried Sir Walter. "'The Crofts arrived in Bath? The Crofts who rent Kellynch? What have they brought you?' A letter from Upper Cross Cottage, sir. Oh, those letters are convenient passports. They secure an introduction. I should have visited Admiral Croft, however, at any rate. I know what is due to my tenant. Anne could listen no longer. She could not even have told how the poor admiral's complexion escaped. Her letter engrossed her. It had been begun several days back. February 1st. "'My dear Anne, I make no apology for my silence "'because I know how little people think of letters in such a place as Bath. "'You must be a great deal too happy to care for Upper Cross, "'which, as you well know, affords little to write about. "'We have had a very dull Christmas. "'Mr. and Mrs. Musgrove have not had one dinner party all the holidays. "'I do not reckon the haters as anybody. "'The holidays, however, are over at last. "'I believe no children ever had such long ones. "'I am sure I had not.' The house was cleared yesterday except of uh, the little Harvilles, but you will be surprised to hear that they have never gone home. mrs Harville must be an odd mother to part with them so long. I do not understand it. They are not at all nice children, in my opinion, but mrs Musgrove seems to like them quite well, if not better, than her grandchildren. What dreadful weather we have had, it may not be felt in Bath, with your nice pavements, but in the country it is of some consequence. I have not had a creature call on me since the second week in January, except Charles Hayter, who had been calling much oftener oftener than was welcome. Between ourselves, I think it is a great pity Henrietta did not remain at Lyme as long as Louisa. It would have kept her a little out of the way, out of his way. The carriage is gone tomorrow to bring Louisa and the Harvilles to. Uh, the the carriage is gone today to bring Louisa and the to tomorrow. "'We are not asked to dine with them, however, till the day after. "'Mrs. Musgrove is so afraid of her being fatigued by the journey, "'which is not very likely, considering the care that will be taken of her, "'and it would be much more convenient to me to dine there tomorrow. "'I am glad you find Mr. Elliot so agreeable, "'and wish I could be acquainted with him too. "'But I have my usual luck. "'I am always out of the way when anything desirable is going on, "'always the last of my family to be noticed.' "'What an immense time Mrs. Clay has been staying with Elizabeth. "'Does she never mean to go away? "'But perhaps if she were to leave the room vacant, we might not be invited. "'Let me know what you think of this. "'I do not expect my children to be asked, you know. "'I can leave them at the great house very well for a month or six weeks. "'I have this moment heard that the Crofts are going to Bath almost immediately. "'They think the Admiral gouty. "'Charles heard it quite by chance.' They have not had the civility to give me any notice or offer to take anything. I do not think they improve at all as neighbors. We see nothing of them, and this is really an instance of gross inattention. Charles joins me in love and everything proper. Yours affectionately, Mary M. I am sorry to say that I am very far from well, and Jemima has just told me that the butcher says there is a bad sore throat just very much about— I dare say I shall catch it, and my sore throats, you know, are always worse than anybody's. So ended the first part, which had been afterwards put into an envelope containing nearby as much more—nearly as much more. I kept my letter open that I might send you word how Louisa bore her journey, and now I am extremely glad I did, having a great deal to add. In the first place, I had a note from Mrs. Croft yesterday, offering to convey anything to you. A very kind, friendly note indeed, addressed to me just as it ought. I shall therefore be able to make my letter as long as I like. The Admiral does not seem very ill, and I truly hope—certainly, sincerely (laughs) hope Bath will do him all the good he wants. I shall be truly glad to have them back again. Our neighborhood cannot spare such a pleasant family. But now for Louisa. I have something to communicate that will astonish you, not a little. She and the Harvilles came on Tuesday very safely, and in the evening we went to ask her how she did, when we were rather surprised not to find Captain Benwick of the party, for he had been invited as well as the Harvilles. And what do you think was the reason? Neither more nor less than his being in love with Louisa, and not choosing to venture to Uppercross till he had had an answer from Mr. Musgrove, "'for it was all settled between him him and her before she came away, "'and he had written to her father by Captain Harville. "'True upon my honour! Are you not astonished? "'I shall be surprised at least if you ever received a hint of it, for I never did. "'Mrs. Musgrove protests solemnly that she knew, knew nothing of the matter. "'We are all very well pleased, however, "'for though it is not equal to her marrying Captain Wentworth, "'it is infinitely better than Charles Hayter.' and Mr. Musgrove has written his consent, and Captain Bennick is expected today. Mrs. Harville says her husband feels a good deal on his poor sister's account, but, however, Louisa is a great favorite with both. Indeed, Mrs. Harville and I quite agree that we love her the better for having nursed her. Charles wonders what Captain Wentworth will say, but if you remember I never thought him attached to Louisa, I never could have seen anything of it. And this is the end, you see, of Captain Bennock's being supposed to be an admirer of yours. How Charles could take such a thing into his head was always incomprehensible to me. I hope he will be more agreeable now, certainly not a great deal, great match for Louisa Musgrove, but a million times better than marrying among the haters. Mary need not have feared her sister's being in any degree prepared for the news. She had never in her life been more astonished. Captain Bennock and Louisa Musgrove, It was almost too wonderful for belief, and it was with the greatest effort that she could remain in the room, preserve an air of calmness, and answer the common questions of the moment. Happily for her, they were not many. Sir Walter wanted to know whether the Crofts traveled with four horses, and whether they were likely to be situated in such a part of Bath as it might suit Miss Elliot and himself to visit in, but had little curiosity beyond. "'How is Mary?' said— Elizabeth, and without waiting for an answer, and I pray what brings the Crofts to Bath? They come on the Admiral's account. He is thought to be gouty. Gout and decrepitude, said Sir Walter. Poor old gentleman. Had they any acquaintance here? asked Elizabeth. I do not know, but I can hardly suppose that, as Admiral Croft's time of life and in his profession, he should not have many acquaintances in such a place as this. I suspect, said Sir Walter coolly, that Admiral Croft will be best known in Bath as the renter of Kellynch Hall. Elizabeth, may we venture to present him and his wife in Laura Place? Oh, no, I think not. Situated as we are with Lady Dalrymple. Cousins, we ought to be very careful not to embarrass her with any acquaintance she might not approve. If we were not related, it would not signify. But as cousins, she would feel scrupulous as to any proposal of ours. We had better leave the Crofts to find their own level. There are several odd-looking men walking around here whom, I am told, are sailors. The Crofts will associate with them. This was Sir Walter and Elizabeth's share of interest in the letter, when Mrs. Clay had paid her tribute of more decent attention in an inquiry after Mrs. Charles Musgrove and her fine little boys, and was at liberty. In her own room she tried to comprehend it. Well might Charles wonder how Captain Wentworth would feel. Perhaps he had quitted the field, had given Louisa up, had ceased to love, had found he did not love her. She could not endure the idea of treachery or levity, or anything akin to ill usage between him and his friend. She could not endure that such a friendship as theirs should be sev- severed uh, unfairly. Captain Bennick and Louisa Musgrove the high-spirited, joyous-talking Louisa Musgrove and the dejected, thinking, feeling, reading Captain Benwick seemed each of them everything that would not suit the other, their minds most dissimilar. Where could have been the attraction? The answer soon presented itself. It had been in situation. They had been thrown together several weeks. They had been living in the same small par- family party since Henrietta's coming away, and must have been depending almost entirely on each other, and Louisa, just recovering from illness, had been in an interesting state, and Captain Benwick was not inconsolable. That was a point which Anne had not been able to avoid suspecting before, and instead of drawing the same conclusions as Mary from the present course of events, they served only to confirm the idea of his having felt some dawning of tenderness toward herself. She did not mean, however, to derive much more from it to gratify her vanity than Mary might have allowed. She was persuaded that any tolerably pleasing young woman who had listened and seemed to feel for him would have received the same compliment. He had an affectionate heart. He must love somebody. She saw no reason against their being happy. Louisa had fine naval fervor to begin with, and they would soon grow more alike. He would gain cheerfulness, and she would learn to be an enthusiast for Scott and Lord Byron. Nay, that would—that was probably learnt already. Of course they had fallen in love over poetry. The idea of Louisa Musgrove turned into a person of literary taste, and sentimental reflection was amusing, but she had no doubt of its being so. The day at Lyme, the fall from the cob, might influence her health, her nerves, her courage, her character to the end of her life, as thoroughly as it might as it appeared to have influenced her fate. The conclusion of the whole was that if a woman who had been sensible of Captain Wentworth's merits could be allowed to prefer another man, there was nothing in the engagement to excite lasting wonder, and if Captain Wentworth lost no friend by it, certainly nothing to be regretted. No, it was not regret which made Anne's heart beat in spite of herself, and brought the color into her cheeks when she thought of Captain Wentworth unshackled and free. She had some feelings which she was ashamed to investigate. They were too much like joy, senseless joy. She longed to see the Crofts, but when the meeting took place, it was evident that no rumor of the news had yet reached them. The visit of ceremony was paid and returned, and Louisa Musgrove was mentioned, and Captain Bennick, too, without even half a smile. The Crofts had placed themselves in lodging in Gay Street, perfectly to Sir Walter's satisfaction. He was not at all ashamed of the acquaintance, and did in fact think and talk a great deal more about the Admiral than the Admiral ever thought or talked about him. The Crofts knew quite as many people in Bath as they wished for, and considered their intercourse with the Elliots as a mere matter of form, and not in the least likely to afford them any pleasure. They brought with them their country habit of being almost always together. He was ordered to walk, to keep off the gout, and Mrs. Croft seemed to go shares with him in everything, and to walk for her life to do him good. Anne saw them wherever she went. Lady Russell took her out in her carriage almost every morning, and she never failed to think of them and never failed to see them. Knowing their feelings as she did, it was a most attractive uh, picture of happiness to her. She always watched them as long as she could, delighted to fancy she understood what they might be talking of, as they walked along in happy independence, or equally delighted to see the admiral's hearty shake of the hand when he encountered an old friend, and observed their eagerness of conversation when occasionally formed in, forming into a little knot of the navy, Mrs. Croft looking as intelligent as, and keen as any of the officers around her. "'Anne was too much engaged with Lady Russell to be often walking herself, "'but it was so, but it so happened that one morning, "'about a week or ten days after the Croft's arrival, "'it suited her best to leave her friend, or her friend's carriage, "'in the lower part of the town and return alone to Camden Place, "'and in walking up Milsom Street she had the good fortune to meet with the Admiral. "'He was standing by himself, "'At a print-shop window, with his hands behind him, in earnest contemplation of some print, "'and she, was, and she not only um, might have passed him unseen, but was obliged to touch as well as address him before she could catch his notice. "'When he did perceive it and acknowledge her, however, it was done with all his usual frankness and good hum- humor. "'Ha! Huh, is it you? Thank you, thank you! This is treating me like a friend!' Here I am, you see, staring at a picture. I can never get by this shop without stopping. But what a thing here is by way of a boat. Do look at it. Did you ever see the like? What queer fellows your fine painters must be to think that anybody would venture their lives in such a shapeless little cockle shell as that? And yet there are two gentlemen stuck up in it mightily at their ease and looking about them at the rocks and mountains as if— they were not to be upset the next moment which they certainly must be i wonder where that boat was built laughing heartily i wonder i would not venture over a horse-pond in it well turning away now where are you bound can i go anywhere for you or with you can i be of any use none i thank you unless you will give me the pleasure of your company the little way our roads slide together i am going home That I will, with all my heart, and farther, too. Yes, yes, we will have a snug walk together, and I have something to tell you as we go along. There, take my arm, that's right. I do not feel comfortable if I have not a woman there. Lord, what a boat it is! Taking a last look at the picture as they began to be in motion. Did you say that you had something to tell me, sir? Yes, I have, presently, but here comes a friend, Captain Brigden. "'I shall only say how you do as we pass, however. "'I shall not stop.' "'How you do?' "'Brigden stares to see anybody with me but my wife. "'She, poor soul, is tied by the leg. "'She has a blister on one of her heels as large as a three-shilling piece. "'If you look across the street, you will see Admiral Brand coming down and his brother. "'Shabby fellows, both of them. "'I am glad they are not on this side of the way. "'Sophie cannot bear them. "'They played me a, pit- a pitiful trick once.' "'Got away some of my best men. "'I will tell you the whole story another time. "'There comes old Sir Arch- uh, Archibald Drew and his grandson. "'Look, he sees us. "'He kisses his hand to you. "'He takes you for my wife. "'Ah, the peace has come too soon for that yonker. "'Poor old Sir Archibald. <sighs> "'How do you like bath, Miss Elliot? "'It suits us very well. "'We are always meeting with some old friend or other.' the streets full of them every morning, sure to have plenty of chat. And then we get away from them all and shut ourselves in our lodgings and draw in our chairs and are snug as if we were in Kellynch, ay, or as we used to even be at North Yarmouth and Deal. We would not like our lodgings here the worse I can tell you for putting us in mind of those we first had at North Yarmouth. The wind blows through one of the uh, cupboards just in the same way. When they were got a little farther, Anne ventured to press again for what he had to communicate. She hoped, when clear of Milsom Street, to have her curiosity gratified, but she was still obliged to wait, for the admiral had up, made up his mind not to begin till they had gained the greater space and quiet of Belmont, and as she was not uh, really Mrs. Croft, she must let him have his own way. As soon as they were fairly descending uh, ascending Belmont, he began— Well, now you shall hear something that will surprise you. But first of all, you must tell me the name of the young lady I am going to talk about. That young lady you know that we have all been so concerned for. The Miss Musgrove that all this has been happening to. Her Christian name. I always forget her Christian name. Anne had been ashamed to appear to comprehend so soon as she really did, but now she could safely suggest the name of Louisa. Aye, aye, Miss Louisa Musgrove, that is the name. I wish young ladies had not such a number of the fine of fine Christian names. I should never be out if they were all Sophies or something of that sort. Well, this Miss Louisa, we all thought you know, was to marry Frederick. She was courting her he was courting her week after week. The only wonder was what they could be waiting for till the business at Lyme came. Then, indeed it was clear enough that they must wait till her brain was set to right, but even then there was something odd in that w- way of, of going on instead of staying at Lyme, he went off to Plymouth and when they went off to see Ed uh, and then he went off to see Edward. When we came back from Minehead, he was gone down to Edwards, and there he has been ever since. We have seen nothing of him since November, even Sophie could not understand it. But now the matter has taken the strangest turn of all, for this young lady, this same Miss Musgrove, instead of being to marry Frederick, is to marry James Bennick. You know James Bennick A little. I am a little acquainted with Captain Bennick. Well, she is to marry him. Nay, most likely they are married already, for I do not know what they should wait for. I thought Captain Bennock a very pl- uh, pleasing young man, said Anne. "'and I understand that he bears an excellent character.' "'Oh, yes, yes, there is not a word to be said against James Bennick. "'He is only a commander, it is true, made last summer, "'and there are—these are bad times for getting on, "'but he has not another fault that I know of. "'An excellent, good-hearted fellow, I assure you, "'a very active, zealous officer, too, "'which is more than you would think for, "'perhaps for that soft sort of manner does not do him justice.' Indeed, you are mistaken there, sir. I should never augur a want of spirit from Captain Bennock's manners. I thought them particularly pleasing, and I will answer for, for it that they would generally please. Well, well, ladies are the best judges, but Captain Bennock is rather too piano for me, and though very likely it is all uh, our partiality, Sophie and I cannot help thinking Frederick's manners better than his. There is something about Frederick more to our taste." Anne was caught. She had only meant to oppose the too common idea of spirit and gentleness and gentleness being incompatible with each other, not at all to re- represent Captain Bennick's manners as the very best that could possibly be. And, after a little hesitation, she was beginning to say, "'I am not entering into any comparison of the two friends.' But the Admiral interrupted her with, "'And the thing is certainly true. It is not a mere bit of gossip.' We have it from Frederick himself. His sister had a letter from him yesterday, in which he tells us of it, and he had just had an uh, had it in a letter from Harville, written upon the spot from Upper Cross. I fancy they are all they are all at Upper Cross. This was an opportunity which Anne could not resist. She said, therefore, "I hope, Admiral, I hope there is nothing in the style of Captain Wentworth's letter to make you and Mrs. Croft particularly uneasy." It did certainly seem, last autumn, as if there were an attachment between him and Louisa Musgrove, but I hope it may be understood to have worn out on each side equally, and without violence. I hope his letter does not breed the spirit of an ill-used man. Not at all, not at all. There is not an oath or a murmur from beginning to end. Anne looked down to hide her smile. No, no, Frederick is not a man to whine and complain. He has too much spirit for that. If a girl, if the girl likes another man better, it is very fit she should have him. Certainly, but what I mean is that I hope there is nothing in Captain Wentworth's manner of writing to make you suppose he thinks himself ill-used by his friend, which might appear, you know, without its being absolutely said. I should be very sor- sorry that such a friendship as has subsisted between him and Captain Bennick should be destroyed or even wounded by a circumstance of this sort. Yes, yes, I understand you. But there is nothing at all of that, n- uh, of that nature in the letter. He does not give the least fling at Binnock, does not so much as say, I wonder at it, I have a reason of my own for wondering at it. No, you would not guess from his way of writing that he had ever thought of "'this Miss—what's her name?—for himself. "'He very handsomely hopes they will be happy together, "'and there is nothing very unforgiving in that, I think.' Anne did not receive the perfect conviction which the Admiral meant to convey, "'but it would have been useless to press the inquiry further. "'She, therefore, satisfied herself with commonplace remarks or quiet attention, "'and the Admiral had it all his own way.' Poor Frederick said he at last, now he must begin all over again with somebody else. I think we must get him to bath. Sophie must write, and I must beg him to come and beg him to come to bath. Here are pretty girls enough, I am sure it would be of no use to go to Upper Cross again, for that other Miss Musgrove, I find is bespoke by her cousin, the young parson. Do you think, Miss uh, do you, not you think Miss Elliot, we had better try to get him to bath? Um, yeah. Chapter 7 While Admiral Croft was taking his walk with Anne and expressing his wish of getting Captain Wentworth to Bath, Captain Wentworth was already on his way thither. Before Mrs. Croft had written, he had arrived, and the very next time Anne walked out, she saw him. Mr. Elliot was attending his two cousins and Mrs. Clay. They were in Milsom Street. It began to rain, not much, but enough to make shelter desirable for women, and quite enough to make it very desirable for Miss Elliot to have the advantage of being conveyed home in Lady Dalrymple's carriage, which had been waiting at a little distance. She, Anne, and Mrs. Clay, therefore, turned into Mullins while Mr. Elliot stepped to Lady Dalrymple to request her assistance. He soon joined them again, successful, of course, Lady Dalrymple would be most happy to take them home and would call for them in a few minutes her ladyship's carriage was a barouche and did not hold more than four with any comfort miss carteret was was with her mother consequently it was not reasonable to expect accommodation for all the three camden place ladies there could be no doubt as to miss Elliot. whoever suffered inconvenience she must suffer none but it occurred a little time but it occupied a little time to settle the point of civility between the other two. The rain was a mere trifle, and Anne was most sincere in preferring a walk with Mister Elliot. But the rain was also a mere trifle to Miss Clay, Missus Clay. She would hardly allow it even to drop at all, and her boots were so thick, much thicker than Miss Anne's, and in short, her civility rendered her quite as anxious to be left to walk with with Mister Elliot as Anne could as Anne could be. And it was discussed between them with a generosity so polite and so determined that the others were obliged to settle it for them, Miss Elliot maintaining that Mrs. Clay had a little cold already, and Mr. Elliot deciding on appeal that his cousin Anne's boots were rather the thickest. It was fixed accordingly that Mrs. Clay should be of the party in the carriage, and they had just reached this this point when Anne, as she sat near the window, uh, decried— most decidedly and distinctly, Captain Wentworth walking down the street. Her start was perceptible only to herself, but she instantly felt that she was the greatest simpleton in the world, the most unaccountable and absurd. For a few minutes she saw nothing before her. It was all confusion. She was lost, and when she had scolded back her senses, she found the other still waiting for the carriage, and Mr. Elliot, always obliging, just setting off for Union for Union Street, on a commission of Mrs. Clay's. She now felt a great inclination to go to the outer door. She wanted to see if it rained. Why was she to suspect herself of another motive? Captain Wentworth went, a must-be out of sight. She left her seat. She would go. One half of her should not be always so much wiser than the other half, or always suspecting the other of being worse than it was. She would see if it rained she was sent back however in a moment by the entrance of captain wentworth himself among a party of gentlemen and ladies evidently his acquaintance and whom he must have joined a little uh, below milsom street he was more obviously struck and confused by the sight of her than she had ever observed before he looked quite red for the first time since their renewed acquaintance she felt that she was betraying the least sensibility of the two She had the advantage of him in the preparation of the last few moments. All the overpowering, blinding, bewildering first effects of strong surprise were over with her. Still, however, she had enough to feel. It was agitation, pain, pleasure, a something between delight and misery. He spoke to her and then turned away. The character of his manner was embarrassment. She could not have called it either cold or friendly, or anything so certainly as embarrassed. After a short interval, however, he came towards her and spoke again. Mutual inquiries on common subjects passed, neither of them probably much the wiser for what they heard, and Anne continuing fully sensible of his being less at ease than formerly. They had, by dint of being so very much together, got to speak to each other with a considerable portion of apparent indifference and calmness. But he could not do it now. Time had changed him, or Louisa had changed him. There was consciousness of some sort or other. He looked very well, not as if as if he had been suffering in health or spirits, and he talked of Uppercross, of the Musgroves, nay, even of Louisa, and had even a momentary look of his own, uh, arch-significant as, a. Uh, He named her, but yet it was Captain Wentworth, not comfortable, not easy, not able to feign that he was. It did not surprise, but it grieved Anne to observe that Elizabeth would not know him. She saw that he saw Elizabeth, that Elizabeth saw him, that there was complete internal recognition on each side. She was convinced that he was ready to be acknowledged as an acquaintance, expecting it and she had the pain of seeing her sister turn away with unalterable coldness. Lady Dalrymple's carriage, for which Miss Elliot was growing very impatient, now drew up. The servant came in to announce it. It was beginning to rain again, and altogether there was a delay and a bustle and a talking which must make all the little crowd in the shop understand that Lady Dalrymple was calling to convey Miss Elliot. At last Miss Elliot and her friend— "'unattended, but, um, by the servant, "'for there was no cousin returned, were walking off, "'and Captain Wentworth, watching them, "'turned again to Anne, and by manner rather than words "'was offering his services to her. "'I am much obliged to you,' was her answer, "'but I am not going with them. "'The carriage would not accommodate so many. "'I walk. I prefer walking. "'But it rains.' "'Oh, very little, nothing that I regard.' after a moment's pause he said though i came only yesterday i have equipped myself properly for bath already you see pointing to a new umbrella i wish you would make use of it if you were determined to walk though i think it would be more prudent to let me get you a chair she was very much obliged very much obliged to him but declined it all repeating her conviction that the rain would come to nothing at present and adding "'I am only waiting for Mr. Elliot. "'He will be here in a moment, I am sure.' "'She had hardly spoken the words when Mr. Elliot walked in. "'Captain Wentworth recollected him perfectly. "'There was no difference between him and the man who had stood on the steps at Lyme, "'admiring Anne as she passed, "'except in the air and look and manner of the privileged relation and friend. "'He came in with eagerness, appeared to see and think only of her.' apologized for his stay, was grieved to have kept her waiting, and anxious to get her away without further loss of time, and before the rain increased, and in another moment they walked off together, her arm under his, a gentle and embarrassed glance, and a good morning to you being all that she had time for as she passed away. As soon as they were out of sight, the ladies of of Captain Wentworth's party began talking of them. Mr. Elliot does not dislike his cousin, I fancy. Oh, no, that is clear enough. One can guess what will happen there. He is always with them, half-lives in the family, I believe. What a very good-looking man. Yes, and Miss Atkinson, who died with him once at the uh, Wallaces, says he is the most agreeable man she ever was in company with. She is pretty, I think. Anne Elliot, very pretty, when one comes to look at her. It is not the fashion to say so, but I confess I admire her more than her sister. Oh, so do I, and so do I. No comparison, but the men are always wild after Miss Elliot. Anne is too delicate for them. Anne would have been particularly obliged to her cousin if he would have walked by her all the way by her side all the way to Camden Place without saying a word. She had never found it so difficult to listen to him though nothing could exceed his solicitude and care, and though his subjects were principally such as were wont to be always interesting, praise, warm, just, and discriminating of Lady Russell and insinuations highly rational against Mrs. Clay. But just now she could think only of Captain Wentworth. She could not understand his present feelings, whether he were really suffering much from disappointment or not. Until that point were settled, she could not be quite herself. She hoped to be wise and reasonable in time, but alas, alas, she must confess to herself that she was not wise yet. Another circumstance very essential for her to know was how long he meant to be in Bath. He had not mentioned it, or she could not recollect it. He might be only passing through, but it was more probable that he should be come to stay. In that case, so liable as everybody was to meet everybody in Bath, Lady Russell would in all likelihood see him somewhere. Would she recollect him? How would it all be? She had al- already been obliged to tell Lady Russell that Louisa Musgrove was to marry Captain Bennick. It had cost her something to encounter Lady Russell's surprise, and now, if she were by any chance to be thrown into company with Captain Wentworth, her imperfect knowledge of the matter might add to another shade of prejudice against him the following morning anne was out with her friend and for the first hour in an incessant and fearful sort of watch for him in vain but at last in returning down um, pulteney street she distinguished him on the right-hand pavement at such a distance as to have him in view the greater part of the street there were many other men about him many groups walking the same way but there was no mistaking him She looked instinctively at Lady Russell, but not from any mad idea of her recognizing him so soon as she did herself. No, it was not to be supposed that Lady Russell would perceive him till they were nearly opposite. She looked at her, however, from time to time anxiously, and when the moment approached which must point him out, though not daring to look again, for her own countenance she knew was unfit to be seen, she was yet perfectly conscious of Lady Russell's eyes being turned exactly in the direction for him of her being in short intently observing him. She could thoroughly comprehend the sort of fascination he must possess over Lady Russell's mind, the difficulty it must be for her to withdraw her eyes, an astonishment she must be feeling that eight or nine years should have passed over him, and in foreign climes and in active service too, without robbing him of one personal grace. At last, Lady Russell drew back her head. Now, how would she speak of him? You will wonder, said she, what has been fixing my eye so long. But I was looking after some window curtains, which Lady Alicia and Mrs. Franklin were telling me of last night. They described the drawing-room window curtains as one of one of the houses on this side of the way, and this part of the street, as being the handsomest and best hung of any in Bath, but could not recollect the exact number, and I have been trying to find out which it could be. "'but I confess I can see no curtains hereabout that answer their description.' "'Anne sighed and blushed and smiled, in pity and disdain, "'and disdain, either at her friend or herself. "'The part which provoked her most was that, in all this haste, waste of foresight and caution, "'she should have lost the say- right moment for seeing whether he saw them. "'A day or two passed without producing anything.' The theatre or the rooms where he was most likely to be were not fashionable enough for the Elliots, whose evening amusements were solely in the elegant stupidity of private parties, in which they were getting more and more engaged. And Anne, wearied of such a state of stagnation, sick of knowing nothing and fancying herself stronger because her strength was not tried, was quite impatient for the concert evening. It was a concert for the benefit of a person patronized by Lady Dalrymple. Of course they must attend. It was really expected to be a good one, and Captain Wentworth was very fond of music. If she could only have a few minutes' conversation with him again, she fancied she, would, she should be satisfied, and to the power of addressing him she felt all over courage if the opportunity occurred. Elizabeth had turned from him, Lady Russell overlooked him. Her nerves were strengthened by these circumstances. She felt that she owed him attention. She had once partly promised Mrs. Smith to spend the evening with her, but it was a short, hurried call she excused herself, but in a short, hurried call, she excused herself and put it off with the more decided promise of a longer visit on the morrow. Mrs. Smith gave a good-humored most good-humored acquiescence by all means, said she only tell me all about it when you do come. Who is your party? Anne named them all. Mrs. Smith made no reply, but when she was leaving her. "'said, and with an expression half serious, half arch. "'Well, I heartily wish your concert may answer, "'and do not fail me to-morrow if you can come, "'for I begin to have a, for- a voting "'that I may not have many more visits from you.' Anne was startled and confused, "'but after standing in a moment's suspense, "'was obliged, and not sorry to be obliged, "'to hurry away.'